Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right. Boy, that worship moment left a mark on me. I don't know about you. I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. If you're worshiping with us online, I hope the Holy Spirit just knocked your coffee over out there because it just went through me like a, like a rag doll up here. Um, we are the church, and I'm really grateful for the folk I get to do ministry with. Don't take this team for granted, man. Sometimes uh, you need it. As a preacher, you need to be preached to. And I heard the pastor on stage said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid? I don't know who that was for today, but I think it was for me. And you know, if the Lord is our light and our salvation, light exposes. Light helps us see a direction. Light helps us go. But, but how many of you know I had a, a bunch of dental work done this week, and you ever get that big light that's right in your face? At the Isn't that really comforting? Um, no. Uh, but you know, a, a surgeon, a dentist, they need light to diagnose, to see the problem. And I don't know about you, but we're in this teaching series right now. It comes from tradition with the, uh, with the seven, what they tradition calls the seven uh, deadly sins. Uh, we're calling them the seven daily sins because um, these are things that are beneath the waves, deep down in. I, I've said through this series, this is about sins. Like preachers love to talk about sins. I said last week, they never ha- happen to mention the ones though that they're affected by, which is really convenient. But I think what the Bible's dealing with us is a condition of sin, something deep down that manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. The seven deadly sins I've said all along <clears throat> were not in the Bible. Okay, the Bible speaks about them, but it's not like the Ten Commandments are on page four of Exodus and the seven deadly sins are on page seven. It's not. This was a, a, a young monk in the fourth century who looked at um, philosophy, Plato, Aristotle, the vices, the virtues, and he said, if there's virtues we're trying to grow into Christ, what are some of the vices that derail us? And Pope Gregory the Great in the sixth century picked up on that. He kind of brought it into church tradition, and the rest is history. But I don't think you need to go as far as Exodus or Numbers or Genesis or even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to figure out there's something wrong with us, right? And Lord is my light and it exposes darkness. All you have to do is turn on the television to whatever news channel you pick and you figure out there's something dreadfully wrong with us, right? We're cruel to one another. We listen to all this political speakeasy all over the board and and it's thinking like what they're baiting us into and like that that's really what we want. Like, it, it, it just exposes, there is something wrong with us. And in Julius Shakespeare, I remember uh, Shakespeare even knew this, Julius, Julius Shakespeare. Julius Caesar by Shakespeare. Any English teachers out there? I did pass. Um, but Shakespeare had Cassius, if you remember, Julius Caesar said to Brutus, Dear Brutus, the problem is not in our stars, but in ourselves. 
There's something corrupt in us, and we're looking at these things. And I thought today I might get off a little bit easy because, you know, you're out there like, man, gosh, seven weeks, eight weeks on sin. This is like painful. I got up at Heritage this morning. I said, good morning, and it was like they were already ready. You know, and I'm like, okay, guys, there's just five more weeks, all right? But you should have to preach on this stuff, man. I got to go in the chambers with the Holy Spirit for two or three weeks working on these messages, and, and they beat me up. In fact, I thought, you know, we started uh, two weeks ago with pride, always on the seven deadly sins. Pride is number one because we're so self-absorbed. We want to be the center of the universe. We want to be our own Savior and Lord. That's what the Bible says. And last week we talked about greed. <clears throat> and I saw that I drew envy this week. Pastor Steve gets wrath next week. And I said, oh, envy, that's a softball. I can hit that one out of the park. I, I'm not affected by envy very much. Do that, do that, do that, you know, until I started digging into it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is awful. This is tearing me apart. Envy, so I turned to psychotherapists and did some reading this week. Envy in the psychotherapy community, uh, psychological, are, are saying that it's one of the most rampant things tearing apart our society. Envy is, is tearing apart our society. Um, something within us that's discontent with what we have and measuring ourselves by everyone else. And I read an article by Moya Sarner. It was in The Guardian. He, just, the title of the article should, to, should tell you everything. I'll try to post it on my social media. It was killing me, but her title was called this, The Age of Envy, How to Be Happy When Everyone Else's Life Looks Perfect. I, I mean, that tells you about everything you need to know, right? And one therapist said, we are suffering in our society from what he called comparisonitis. Comparison, uh, comparisonitis. Say that three times real fast. Comparisonitis. And, and what, he, what they were saying is that social media has only made that worse. Like this has been around forever. You ever heard of keeping up with the Joneses, right? My friend's Joneses over here. I want to keep up with you. Uh, but you ever heard that term, right? We're always, but it used to be, you only had to be envious of your next door neighbor. Now, like you're looking at people around the world and they're all look happier than you and they're thinner than you and they got nicer cars than you. And my God, the food they eat. You know, and, and, and so we struggle with this comparisonitis. Rachel Andrews, she's a clinical psychologist. She wrote this. She said, I'm seeing more and more envy in my consulting room from people who can't achieve the lifestyle they want, but which they see others have. Our use of social media amplifies this deeply disturbing psychological discord. I think what social media she has done, she said, is make everyone accessible for comparison. And, and that's, that's the, what we're living in. That's the pressure. And that, that envy, we always think it's like jealousy. It's something different. It creeps in to our soul and it can really poison us. And we're so desperate for it. Now, honestly, you're going to have to fact check me. And I'm, I'm going to tell you. I didn't even believe this was true. I heard about it. It's absolutely true. You can Google it now. Well, yeah, because I'm not that great to listen to. But, or you can Google it after service. There's a website called fakeavacation.com. Anybody been to it? I spent some time on it this week preparing for the sermon. Fakeavacation.com. You know how they advertise it? You don't have to pack. Deal with security lines or face jet lag in order to show off your vacation pictures on social media. Just fake it. 
It's a Nebraska-based business. It's offering an ability for us to bolster our social media pages with expertly fake photos of the user on vacations they never took. True story. Someone's back there like, oh, I don't believe Pastor Chip. Fakeavacation.com. True story. And it, and it basically, it says, uh, you can do this all for $19.99. <laughs> Somebody's gone. You'll be back. Tell me which one you visited while I'm preaching. Um, and they superimpose photos of, the, of your, you, your user profile, in front of famous landmarks at popular vacations, including Vegas, the Grand Canyon, Hawaii, Walt Disney World. Here's their company motto. Listen to this. Make your friends envious of where you were and have them thinking about being where you are. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And these packages I found out, I dug deeper, they also will give you little cheat sheets of facts about the place you visited just in case you get called out on it. <laughs> Fakeavacation.com. You know, and, and, and the psychologist goes on to say, while envying other people is damaging enough, we've created what she calls self-envy. That we've started to create a, a kind of a lifestyle of ourselves out there on our media profiles and everything that really we can't live up to. And so it says that we now have created this and we feel envious of ourselves. Watch this. She said, we feel inauthentic, curiously envious of our own avatars. Houston, <laughs> we have a problem. Ethan Cross is a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan. He's been studying the impact of Facebook and other platforms on our well-being. And he said, envy is being taken to an extreme. We're constantly bombarded by Photoshop lives. And that exerts a toll on us, the likes of which we have never experienced in the history of our species. And it's not particularly present. Okay? You all right, sweetheart? She's good. Um, I don't know if she's good, but I went to fakeavacation.com. Yeah. <laughs> so envy is um, something that creeps up with us unawares. So I, what I want to look at, and I think we could probably do this with all the seven daily sins, but I, particularly this one, because it was slippery for me. I want to talk about the symptom of envy. Okay, I'm going to start with that, the symptoms of envy, how we know we have it, the root cause of envy, and then what's the antidote? What's the vaccine? What's the cure? Okay, so first, the symptom of envy. Um, you know, we always think it's something jealousy, but the Bible teaches it's a lot different. It's like in this story I'll get to in a minute. But and a sign that we're, we're corrupted by envy is we're always complaining. We tend to be negative more often than we want, and we always see the flaws in everything and everybody. That's a, that, somebody took a deep breath. I did too. I don't like this stuff. I wish I didn't have to preach it to you. Uh, we find ourselves always complaining, tending to be negative, and seeing the flaws in everyone else. Now, what's this story? This story, Pastor Terry read, it was only a few verses, but it's part of a long narrative, right? Israel had gone down to Egypt, which at one point was a provision, but they stayed too long. I've got another sermon on that. God will always provide you through the hands of others, but don't lean on the hand of flesh too long. Because that one thing that used to feed you will suddenly enslave you. Okay, so they stayed too long in Egypt, and now they ended up in slavery. 
For centuries, they're in slavery. They're crying out to God. God hears their cries. God sends the delivery, works through Moses and Aaron and Miriam and others, delivers people from their bondage to Pharaoh, and they are on their way to Canaan, to the land of provision. But it's very, very interesting. There's a passage in Exodus. I don't know. Dre got me fired up. I might preach a little bit. There's a passage in Exodus that said God knew there was a quicker way to the promised land, but he knew if, if they took it, they would never they would never be satisfied. You know, sometimes you can get things too quick, right? If you study the, the biographies and that of people who won these big lottery piles, the divorce rates and suicide rates, sometimes you can get things too quick. And God said, you know, I'm going to send them out into the wilderness. I'm going to shape them. I'm going to form them. I'm going to teach them how to deal with adversity. I'm going to teach them not just, you know, to learn to pray for themselves. I'm going to teach them how to put one foot in front of the other and keep going even when it's not easy. I'm, I'm going to shape my people. And he does it in the wilderness. And the people are out there in the Judean wilderness. Some of you have traveled to Israel with me. It's rugged, rugged desert, and the people were sure they're going to starve. And God brought them manna from heaven. You all know that story, right? Seen one of the movies? Okay. Bread from heaven, manna. You know what the word manna means in Hebrew? What is it? Nobody never seen it before. It was this cake-like substance, and God said, look, I'm going to keep providing for what you need, when you need it, but don't hoard it, because if you hoard it, it'll go sour. Just, just be grateful with what do we pray. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. You know, when I get my daily bread and I say, Lord, give me my daily bread, you know what it implies? I'll be back to talk to you again tomorrow. So don't hoard it. Just, just relish in what I'm giving you. And it says that they're traveling along, and some people call it wandering in the wilderness. I did a series years ago titled Whining in the Wilderness because it was serious. I mean, I, I don't always have a Moses complex, but once in a while you get in whininess in the church. And I've had my moments just like Moses where he went up in the mountain and said, just kill me now. Like, <laughs> that's a true story. He did. You know, and so they're whining and going on. All of a sudden, they've been going along. And now at this juncture, at this moment, they said, we're tired of this manna. What was God thinking? We were in Egypt. We had fish. And we had leeks. And we had onions. And we had garlic. I'm from Youngstown. It's hard to imagine life without garlic. I'll give them that. But they had all this stuff, and they're pining over it, right? And they're complaining. And they say in that verse that Terry read, it says, they said, now our strength is dried up. Literally, this word for strength in the Hebrew is the word niposh, which literally is better translated souls. It means your life force. Like, we're remembering all the wonderful food we had in Egypt. And now we're dying with what God's given us. We're dying. Our souls are drying up. Do you see how it gets in and it can poison you from the inside? Because when you're having this spirit of envy that comes upon your life, you're never content with what's in front of you. You can't celebrate what you have right in front of you with any joy. You can't find joy in the moment. You find fault with anything. Watch this. Envy, here's a symptom. Envy's a condition of your heart that says, back there, over there, back then, out there. If I had that, I'd be happy. Right? Back there, back then. Let me tell you something. Back then wasn't all so great. It wasn't. I remember I was with my father-in-law. He have, you know, he's in heaven now, African-American, raised in Jim Crow South. And I remember we were watching a TV show, and there was a politician ranting and raving about the good old days. 
if we could just get back there. And I saw my father-in-law shaking his head because the good old days for him were not the good old days for them. He's living in apartheid segregation in the South. We pine over things in the past that sometimes weren't that great. Daniel M. was here, a buddy of mine, and he was preaching. He's, he was with Lifeway when he came to preach for us. He's now up in Edmonton, this major multi-campus ministry he's lead pastor of in Canada. I told him, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I want to go fishing in Saskatchewan. But he hasn't done that yet. If you're watching Daniel, yeah, call me. Um, but he's up there, and, and uh, he was here preaching. I'll never forget, he talked about, he showed a picture of his wife and his family, and he said, yeah, I remember they're Canadian when I met my wife, and we were at this restaurant and had all these pastel colors, and it was the most amazing food, and it was the greatest scene by the lake, and, and I, just, I just wanted to get back there one time because it, like, it was like paradise. And he said he went back, and he showed us pictures, and he said, it wasn't all I remembered it to be. Like the colors weren't that great. The food really wasn't wonderful. But we have a tendency when envy comes in, if just back there or out there or over there. That's why we're discontent in our marriages. That's why we're discontent in our churches. That's why we're discontent in our careers. Because it's got to be better over there. Out there. Back there. Okay? read an article years ago by a guy named Randy Tillman. He wrote in the New York Times Magazine. And the title of his article was Picky, Picky, Picky. And he was talking about us in culture. And he said, we have a flaw-o-matic tendency in us that anything we see or whatever's going on, we immediately pick up the flaws. You've never done that, have you? You've always been positive, never negative. Been that way with people all the time, right? Don't pick on their flaws. Come on, somebody. I'm not the only sinner in this house. <laughs> he said we have a flaw, you know, flawomatic in us. And it, it's triggered. And we, we get discontent, right? Picky, picky, picky. I remember my wife and I had been married two years. And uh, we were just on the beginning of the journey, right? Like we'd been together two years before we got married. But I've always said there's no such thing as an unhappy marriage ever. I've never seen one. But it's the living together right after the ceremony. That's what gets hard. Like, weddings are fun. I've never seen a miserable wedding, right? But it's the living together. So we were two years into doing the living together thing. And uh, our pa my pastor, my spiritual mentor, chaplain at Colgate, we flew him in for our wedding to officiate it. Um, and uh, so he was my spiritual mentor. And we ran into one of those moments. You know, I was raised, my mom was like Martha Stewart on steroids. And two years in, I was like, huh, what do you mean Terry doesn't have the laundry done at 5 o'clock on Tuesday? Right? One person got that. Thank you. Don't leave me hanging, sister. You know, I was like, oh, I deserve a little better. So I, I called the pastor. I had buyer's remorse. And I, I did. Hey, she sat through it in heritage. Every time I pick on my wife, you guys turn on me. <laughs> You do. I understand she's the most beloved person in the history of Garfield, trust me. But, but I was true. I was having this moment. I wanted the pastor to fix it, you know, put some Holy Spirit over the phone. And I called him up, and I said to Coleman, I said, Coleman, you know, I've got all this, and I work so hard, and I'm doing all this, and shouldn't maybe, you know, help with cleaning, and shouldn't I have this sometime? And, all? and he said, Chip, I'll tell you what. I guess you'll just have to weigh that against being married to one of the greatest women on the planet. And he hung up on me. True story. Well, what was he doing? Big picture, bro. Big picture. Picky, picky, picky. You're caught up in the details and you're missing 
the big picture. Coleman's in heaven now. I never called him back again for pastoral marriage counseling, ever. But I will tell you, not physically, but I did many times in my heart and in my soul. When I get ready, I'd hear him say, well, I guess you have to measure that up about being married to your best friend, a woman that loves God far more than she loves you and tolerates all your flaws and pimples and warts. Maybe you can measure that up. That's a big picture. See, envy distorts how we see things. It distorts our vision. Do you, do you realize the irony of this story? I know I got hurried, but here's the irony of the story. These folks are going, oh, do you remember Egypt? We had fish and onions and leeks and garlic, and you were slaves. And you were in chains. Do you remember the lash? Do you remember the taskmasters? This is a law aside. Anybody that tells you that something good comes out of slavery is a lie. Okay, that was just it. Bye. But, but what I'm saying is, you were slaves, man. Of course you were free to eat whatever you want. But back then you were saying, what good is it to have free food and not our freedom? And now you're saying, what good is it to have freedom and not have good food that we want? Do you see how messed up we are? Am I, am I hurting anybody today? I mean, my wife said I have the spiritual gift of irritation. I'm trying to use all of it, all of it, right? There's, we have a cosmic flaw Let me make my point, and I'm going to fly through the last two because I'm not sure you're, everybody's hearing me. Take the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. I've, I had somebody say to me, well, Chip, I'm just not sure that Adam and Eve's a true story. I said, that's fine, but if you, even if you think that, it's a truth story. I can't complain. I can't explain the human race apart from it. The older I get, the more important that story is to me. And what is the story of Adam and Eve representing you and I? They're in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember? Did you hear what I said? Where are they? Doesn't get better than that. Paradise. Perfection. No pollution. No climate change, no poverty, no war, no racism, no, no you know, discontent, no enmity of any kind, no death, no disease. And a little voice comes up to them and the serpent says, hey, can you do anything you want to here? Well, we can eat whatever we want to eat. We can eat of all the trees in the garden. We can eat all the fruit, but we can't eat the fruit of that one tree over there. And you know what that lie sounded like? I bet it's the best one. I bet that fruit's better than all the other fruit combined. And what happens? The Bible is telling us there's something so sick in us that I could be transported into the Garden of Eden tomorrow and still not be satisfied. That's envy. 